Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. It is Doug Hay joined with Matt Tolman, who is here with another interview for us. Matt, how's it going? We're doing great, and I'm really excited about this interview. We have one of the the godmothers, the the foremothers, uh, what's mm-hmm. the equivalent of a forefather who's a woman, uh, Brenda Davis, who is a, a registered dietitian and has written 12 books on Oof. the subject. And uh, I was so excited to be able to bring her and her co-author, Dr. Reshma Shah, who uh, is a clinical instructor at Stanford University of uh, School of Medicine. And mm-hmm. the two of them have tackled a super important topic, particularly important for you and me, and, and that is uh, diet and pediatrics. So what should we feed our kids? So we got into all of the, the juicy questions that I, I personally really wanted to know. I don't know if it's just because I have kids and <clears throat> and I'm noticing it more or if people are really talking about kids' nutrition and the vegan, the plant-based diet uh, more frequently. It's just, it seems like even, even since uh, Eliza was born three, four years ago, um, it seems like there's just so much more information out there and so many more resources. And, and it's awesome because, uh, it, I don't know, it just gives me a lot more confidence going into raising a second kid on a plant-based diet. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of, it's the same emotions that drive, uh, you know, kind of news cycles, right? Like the higher the stakes, the more interest people have in it. Right. And, (laughs) and there's nothing higher stake, right. Than, than how we raise our kid. And, And I think it's, it's like a confluence of these different forces where, you know, on the one hand, um, childhood obesity is on the rise, you know, one of the most depressing, you know, health stats that we all should be very embarrassed about. Um, and on the other hand, plant-based eating is on the rise. And as more parents start to change their diets and see these benefits, they want to help, you know, their kids uh, obviously grow up in the healthiest way possible. So, so we're seeing more kids eating this way and thank goodness because we obviously have this uh this major challenge in the country so i think that's why it's such a a kind of prevalent topic of conversation because you know it's those macro forces happening while at the same time like it is such a personal and and stressful and like i said kind of high stakes decision right like you're going against Mm -hmm. the grain and it's one thing to do that yeah, I mean, for me, like, I care much more about my kid's health than I do my own. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah. it's one thing if I'm going to make a mistake, you know, with how I eat and I pay for it with, you know, a deteriorating health or something, which I certainly don't feel and don't anticipate. Uh, but it's like so much more, you know, scary to make that decision, go against a sort of societal norm when it comes to your kid. So, so I was really excited about this conversation because I got to ask some really juicy questions and some practical tips and and they're both just such a wealth of knowledge so i'm really excited to to share this with our audience yeah i am too i have not listened to the episode yet or to the interview yet but i'm definitely going to and and i'm very excited to do so they also have a new book nourish the definitive plant-based nutrition guide for families uh that was just released uh let's see today is 
Thursday when this podcast will be released. I think it was the book was released on Tuesday. Um, so it's brand new book, brand new guide, and uh, we are just thrilled to have them on the episode. Anything yeah, else to I've add already, before we? I've already. It's a great stocking stuffer. I've already ah. bought a stack. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give it to my sisters who have two little ones each, and uh, super excited. So um, yeah, before the holiday hits, it's a great uh, a great resource for anyone who's looking for. Uh, for for the gift that keeps on giving, health I love, for your kids. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And speaking of holidays, we have two announcements today, big ones. Um, one is to just get ready, get prepared, because the seventh annual No Meat Athlete Health and Fitness Bundle is coming back once again for uh, for the seventh <laughs> for the seventh time. This this uh, this year's bundle is going to be bigger and better than ever. I know we say that every single year, but. Um, I really, I mean, you know, we mean it, I guess, every year. But this year, I'm just so excited about because it it's so much more well-rounded than uh, than we've had in previous years with everything from, you know, cookbooks and meal plans to fitness guides and lifestyle courses. It is it is a really cool bundle this year. So um, nothing you can do right now, but be on the lookout for it. Check your inbox. If you're not on the Nomad Athlete email list, then then head over to nomadathlete.com and join that list because that's where all, where all the information will drop. Uh, and we will share an episode about it uh, once once the bundle is live. So that's announcement number one. Announcement number two is that over on Complement, our our vitamin and nutrient um, company, we are also launching a number of really cool Black Friday um, offers. The biggest offers that we have ever done, probably for Complement and and Complement Plus and Complement Protein and um, definitely the biggest ones of the year. So if you're interested in that, go to nomadathlete.com slash comp dash texts, T-E-X-T-S, um, because that is where we're going to be actually text messaging a lot of our biggest deals. So head, head over to nomadathlete.com slash comp dash texts to uh, sign up, and that's where, uh, where we'll announce a lot of that stuff. So a lot of really cool stuff, a lot of opportunities to save and get ahead of your 2021 goals. Uh, and and resolutions so now's the time to act and and a lot of a lot of fun stuff coming our way yeah super excited for the bundle i know that's uh it's like this folder that lives on my desktop throughout the year and whenever i'm feeling like i i need a challenge i need a new goal you know uh, a new sprint uh, I, I dig in there and and there's so many resources so it's a great thing to to pocket at the end of the mm-hmm. year as you look at 2021 absolutely Well, thanks again, Matt, for for doing this interview, and uh, I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we'll be back next week. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Brenda Davis, Reshma Shaw. Uh, I'm so excited to have you both here. Um, I I don't know where to begin. You both have uh, incredible bios. Many will know uh, Brenda from what your 12 books or, or sorry, your upcoming book is your 12th, which is amazing. Um, I don't think I've read that many books in my life, <laughs> let alone written them. Um, uh, I like audiobooks. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Unfortunately, that may actually be a true statement, but, um, and, and I think veg news called you the, the godmother of, uh, uh, plant-based dietitians, which is an incredible title to be uh, have bestowed on you. So really excited to get into it. And and Reshma, 
um, a clinical instructor at Stanford University School of Medicine. And of course, you have um, a, an esteemed co-author in this upcoming book about raising plant-based families. So really excited to get into all of these topics. Um, I think perhaps the, uh, the best place to start is to explain, um, this was not a prop. I actually got spit up on by a five-month-old about six minutes before walking in here and didn't have time to change my shirt. So if, if that's visible in the video, it's, it's a great not. place to, <laughs> it's a great place to, uh, to start the conversation um, by saying that I, I'm legitimately curious. I have two little ones and it is so stressful in so many ways because you're going up against these cultural norms when you raise children this way. And, and of course it shouldn't be that way, but, but before we dig into all those things and put some of my concerns to rest, um, I would love just to start with, um, how about Brenda, yeah, maybe you can introduce uh, our audience to you and your background and, and talk a little bit about how we got here today. Well, sure. I'm, uh, well, you, you said Brenda Davis, registered dietitian. I, I actually do have two children as well, but they're in their mid thirties now, but I have two grandchildren who are uh, two, uh, uh, four years old and one at, at this time. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really into feeding small children as well, Matt. Uh, I actually slowly became a vegan over several years. I've been married for 42 years. And, uh, <laughs> and, and my husband and I started gravitating more and more towards plant-based diets. Uh, he, because he was very interested in leaving a softer footprint on the planet and me because I have a huge heart for animals and I couldn't stand the thought of eating them. Um, but I was a registered dietitian and, 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 you know, half of our you know, food plate or food guide was animal products. And, and I was a public health nutritionist. So all of my nutrition education um, materials were based on Canada's food guide. I couldn't imagine, I'd never actually even met a real live vegetarian dietitian. I was living in Northern Ontario, hunting, fishing country. And so it was hard for me to imagine, but I, I actually had an interaction with a hunter that um, tipped the scales for me. And, and I decided after my interaction with him, I was done. I was not eating animal products anymore. And, and what happened was I, I was trying to make him feel really guilty about going and shooting another deer. And, and he said to me, he said, you know, he said, just because you don't have the guts to pull the trigger does not mean you are not responsible for the trigger being pulled every time you buy a piece of meat camouflaged in cellophane in the grocery store. And then he said, at least the animals I eat have had a life. I wonder if you can say the same for the ones sitting on your plate. And uh, I decided it was time to take responsibility for the food I was eating. And so I really just started researching and, and what I uncovered about animal agriculture, um, I, I was done. I said, I, I can't continue to contribute to a system of cruelty uh, like this anymore. And so I went to my husband and I said, would you, our, our kids were four and one at the time. And I said, would you be willing to become a vegetarian? 
And he smiled and he said, I thought you'd never ask. He said, I'd love to be a vegetarian. <laughs> so I knew at that moment I had definitely picked the right man for me. <laughs> so that was my story. And I can tell you it was terrifying as a dietitian. I was, I, I almost left the profession because I, I didn't know how I could be a dietitian and not be promoting animal products. And I made a very difficult decision. I decided that if I don't try to change the system from within, who will? And that I just, I thought you, you need to, uh, you know, just have the courage to stand up for what is right. Uh, and so I just did. And that was it. That <laughs> began a very interesting career. So that's a bit of a long story. Sorry about that. No, an amazing story. And I have 18 follow-up questions, but I, <laughs> I, I will wait um, and would love, Reshma, if, if you, um, tough, tough act to follow, but please, oh, uh, <laughs> sorry, next time I'll, I'll keep that in mind and we'll let you go first, but, but tell, tell us how you got here. Yeah, so my story is actually kind of opposite to Brenda's. I grew up in a vegetarian household. My family is Jane, and they actually, one of the basic tenets of their, um, my upbringing was extreme nonviolence. So I grew up in a household, I mean, at the time, you know, back in the 70s, we didn't call it plant-based, but that's essentially what we were, eating lots of vegetables, grains. Um, my mom cooked simple whole foods. Uh, and for me, actually, as part of sort of becoming more culturally integrated, we started eating a lot of these outside foods just to feel a sense of belonging. So things like pizza. I remember growing up, I always thought the kids that got their birthday parties at McDonald's were truly special kids. Like to me, that was what it meant to be growing up in an American household. Um, and so I ate largely plant-based growing up. And then as I got older, a lot of these outside foods made you know more and more appearances in my diet and interestingly enough it's when i went to medical school and residency training that we were really taught like lean protein and low-fat milk and all those things were sort of good sources of protein and the foundation for good health and so that's what i did early on in my training and in my practice and then for me when i started having kids of my own my kids are much i think we cover the entire spectrum right like you've got young ones matt um, brenda's got grandchildren and i've got full-on teenagers so when I started having to feed my own kids, that's when I really became much more curious about nutrition because I'm sure many of your guests have told you that nutrition education in medical school is very lacking. And so it was really up to me and I was motivated by how to feed my own kids. And overwhelmingly, when I looked at the health aspects, um, it seemed like it always came back to a plant-centered diet as the foundation for promoting health. And that's where my motivation came from. And then, of course, as it happens for so many people, I learned that, gee, it has a much smaller environmental footprint. And I came back full circle to what my parents taught me about nonviolence. And so it kind of became a full circle experience for me. And my family was very accommodating, but they weren't necessarily fully on board. So it was a much more gradual process of getting them on board and, you know, including my husband and my kids. And so that's been an interesting journey, but uh, so slightly different path, but we're kind of all here now together in the same place. Amazing. Um, I, it's so hard to choose where, where to begin. Um, I, I remember uh, seeing a Jain temple in India and, uh, hearing the story of how they removed like 6,000 ants in order to dig out the foundation. And, and that to me 
was so mind-blowing. So um, you're fortunate to have had that background. That we yeah. all uh, would have benefited from that upbringing. Um, but you bring up a... Can, I was just thinking, isn't it amazing how we can sort of abandon those practices that we grow up with because of a culture around us and what it tells us that we should be doing? So I am kind of embarrassed to look back to think that I had all that information and I knew all these things. And it was so easy for me to abandon those principles. So I have a lot of empathy and compassion for people that are trying to make the transition because I was there myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the best place to dig in is, is maybe uh, exactly that, you know, the, the cultural um, part you mentioned uh, that you started to eat animal products uh, to find that sense of belonging. I think for parents, um, you know, the, the opposite force is just as powerful in the sense that that emotional um, uh, anxiety that you feel when you're going against the cultural norms and saying, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to raise my kid eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, which is a, a crazy concept, right? You know, it's like going to McDonald's and raising a kid who probably has atherosclerosis by like 16, 17 years old, you know, is okay, right? Because like, you know, you went with the culture, but you get demonized and, and have this, uh, for me at least, an, an incredible sense of paranoia that you may be doing something that actually is hurting your kid. So um, talk to me a little bit, how, how do you guys recommend parents deal with that um, aside from perhaps, you know, my approach, which is educating yourself and, and gritting your teeth and, and hoping that, you know, what you're learning is, is right. Do you guys have advice for parents making this decision? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'll start by saying, I think the first thing is exactly what you said, educating yourself and um, making sure that you are covering the nutritional basis. I mean, that was the foundation for the book that Brenda and I wrote together. We wanted to give parents the resources and the tools. It's interesting because when I give talks or when I've met other parents, they often come to me and say, we're really interested in being more plant-based, but we're getting a lot of pushback from either relatives or even our pediatrician. And so I think it's, Knowledge is definitely a great thing if you want to arm yourself so that you make sure you are covering your nutritional basis. And I think the other thing I'll say before I let Brenda chime in is, is that even within the last five years, I've seen a tremendous amount of acceptance and curiosity and willingness for people to talk about these topics. So um, I think it was much harder to do this, certainly when Brenda became vegetarian and vegan and plant-based. But even over the last five years, from products being available to people being very open, I also think that a lot of children have food allergies. So back when we used to have playdates and sporting events, I think coaches, teachers, other parents are very well aware of dietary preferences and restrictions. So I think it's getting a lot easier. Yeah, and, and, and I will chime in. I, you know, when I started out 30 years ago, uh, I, I, well, 40 years ago, when I was in university, we, we learned that uh, vegetarian diets were risky for children, shouldn't be fed to children, and vegan diets were downright dangerous. And that's pretty much all we learned. Uh, and I can tell you, uh, gratefully, things have shifted dramatically. The largest uh, um, nutrition dietetic group on the planet, which is the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, um, has a, you know, a, a position paper that's quoted by health professionals all over the world. 
uh, that states very clearly that well-designed plant-based diets are safe and appropriate for grown children. And, and in fact, um, it, they, they add that we're probably, uh, you know, there are, there are significant ad advantages uh, to feeding a child plant-based. Uh, vegetarian children or vegan children tend to eat more fruits and vegetables with all the uh, nutrients that are associated with that, the, the fiber and the phytochemicals and the antioxidants and the potassium and the vitamin C. Uh, they eat fewer, fewer sweets and salty snacks. They, they actually have a lower intake of, of a saturated fat and total fat, of course, and they have a very significantly reduced risk of obesity. Uh, they have less constipation. They have, you know, they they generally do very well. And in fact, uh, we I think children are actually more likely to meet their nutritional needs with a with a thoughtfully planned plant based diet. And all diets need to be carefully or thoughtfully planned for children. Um, then we are by feeding them a sort of standard uh, Western style diet. So I, you know, I, I really encourage parents to get a copy of the position statements from 2016 on uh, vegetarian diets from the academy. And if they get pushback from their physician or, or dietitian or whatever health professional they're working with to share that document with them, it's, it, it's very helpful and it goes through all the nutrients and so forth. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable to me, like I was saying, that uh, um, any diet can have gaps in it, right? We all have preferences. Absolutely. We all have certain tastes that we enjoy. And, and if you just look at, I find it fun to, to analyze my own diet. And honestly, I, I, I'm not sure that I'm getting every nutrient that I need. Um, but, you know, I, I worry a lot less about me than I do my, my kids. Um, so let's talk about specific nutrients. We um, you know, full disclosure, obviously we produce a, a supplement, we call it a complement because it has just those nutrients that are missing from a plant-based diet. So B12, vitamin D, DHA, and EPA. It was funny, uh, Reshma, you, you mentioned that pediatricians sometimes push back on this decision and, and it was remarkable. We experienced a little bit of that, even here in, in the Republic of Boulder, which is rather forward thinking. Um, you know, and I, uh, you know, my, my, our pediatrician made some comments about the decision and, and yet didn't really have much to back it up. And she didn't know that I had spent, you know, years of my life studying this stuff. Now I don't have any formal credentials, but I could explain to her that, you know, the importance of say DHA for brain development, you know, as you mentioned, you know, medical, uh, physicians, right. Don't have that training. So where do you look? Uh, well, let me back up and say, since so many people don't know where to look and there is this anxiety around deficiency, there's a lot of misconception around, um, you know, being able to, uh, like you say, appropriately planned diet for your kids. Um, what nutrients do we need to watch out for? And what suggestions do you have for parents in terms of making sure that we check off those boxes every day. And I know Brenda will have a lot of specific information she'll want to cover, but I will just say that as a pediatrician, um, I've definitely treated kids for nutrient deficiencies. And the vast majority, and in fact, probably all of them were eating omnivorous diets. So 
we have to be concerned about nutrient deficiencies in all children. And I think um, the ones that come to mind globally for children are iron for sure. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that. And again, iron deficiency, usually I've seen it in kids when they're drinking a lot of cow's milk is one of the main reasons that they, they can become iron deficient because it, it's a very low iron food. And if kids consume a lot of it, um, it takes the place of other iron rich foods. And definitely vitamin D. Before we moved to California, I lived in Cleveland for 15 years and we had lots of months of darkness. So I saw, I treated kids for vitamin D deficiency rickets. So I think to your point, all diets for children need to be well-planned. And I think people just tend to become more alarmed with vegetarian and vegan diets because they're out of the norm. Um, but I know that Brenda has, I, you know, in the book, we go into great detail about all the specific nutrients. But I think to your point, plant-based children, there are certain nutrients that they're not difficult or impossible to get. We just have to pay a little more attention to. Yeah, and, I, and I'll add to that. So, you know, many parents are very concerned about protein and we can address protein specifically, but it's it's probably a lot less of an issue than, than people think it is. And in addition to, you know, iron and vitamin D, uh, zinc can be an issue for some children, of course, calcium for children that are completely plant-based, uh, iodine, um, possibly omega-3 fatty acids, but of course the the critical nutrient that plants really don't provide is vitamin B12. And let's transition to, to macros briefly. Um, so if you uh, read anything from the sort of paleo thinkers out there, you know, there's a lot of conversation about fat and cholesterol, how important it is for the synapses to be firing in our brains. Um, I definitely eat a low fat diet, not intentionally, but you can only eat so many nuts in a given day. Um, and avocados, which are generally my go-to sources. Is fat something to be concerned about when raising little ones? And again, you know, what kind of recommendations or tips do you have for parents who uh, worry about that and, and maybe want to uh, plan more you know, ways to get fat into their, into their kids' diet? Yeah, so I definitely can address that. The, you know, definitely um, we do want to be uh, uh, more concerned about fat uh, for growing children. Uh, growing children need uh, a higher amount of fat than, than do adults, and, and there's no question. So generally adults, the, you know, the RDA or the, um, uh, what we call the acceptable macronutrient distribution range if, with the Institute of Medicine is 20, 20 to 35% of calories from fat for adults. Uh, the World Health Organization suggests 15 to 30% of calories. But for children, um, babies will be getting about 50% of calories from fat. There's you know, just a little more than 50% of calories from fat in breast milk. And then between the ages of one to three, it kind of starts going, going down. So one to three-year-olds, it's, it's around 30 to 40% the acceptable, acceptable macronutrient distribution range. And then by about four to 18 uh, years of age, it's 25 to 35% of calories from fat. And that's actually not at all difficult to achieve. If you're consuming a, a plant-based diet that does include nut and seed butters and creams and avocados and and you know other uh, soy foods like tofu uh, it's really quite quite easy to to be within that realm and 
What about oil? Oil is a very controversial substance. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously referring to plant oils, avocado or olive oil, you know, organic, dark containers. We're not talking about hydrogenated this or that. Um, but obviously, there's a lot of controversy in it for adults in particular. If you have severe heart disease, you know, you might be um, encouraged to eat a no oil diet. Do, do you have concerns about oil for little ones? So I think um, when you say that people with chronic diseases like, you know, heart disease or type 2 diabetes, it may be reasonable um, and even beneficial for them to limit or exclude um, oils in the diet. For children, I tend to be much more liberal. I think that uh, being overly restrictive with children, especially during those you know, younger years when they're transitioning to solid foods and they need those increased calories from fat, um, I tend to feel like a little bit of oil in cooking is perfectly fine and healthy. There are no studies to look at oil-free diets. And the one concern I have is that when parents become overly restrictive, especially with children, that it can lead to inadequate growth. And it can also make it really difficult. You know, we talked a lot about in the beginning about being culturally acceptable and being able to be a part of the community. So if you're already following a vegan or plant-based diet, and then on top of that, you're restricting added oils and things like that, it can become incredibly challenging for young kids to feel good about their food choices. Um, and I certainly don't recommend eating heavily fried foods or, you know, heavily processed foods, but Brenda and I have slightly different approaches. I think it's because I have still young teenagers in the house and we tend to cook with a little bit of olive oil, um, you know, to saute veggies or things like that, but using it in moderation, um, using it to enhance the flavor of things and trying not to be overly restrictive or excessive uh, with our intake of these added oils. Um, similar uh, to that uh, processed plant meat. So thinking about beyond meats and, and I guess we could probably throw, uh, um, uh, I'm lacking the term plant cheeses. I don't know. We just call them cheese in my house. So it, it, I don't know what, what you say uh, to be um, culturally sensitive to the non vegans who might be listening, but, but um, I, the predominant ingredient in so many of those is oil right, or, or some sort of, you know, protein isolate. So where, where do those sort of um, concoctions fall in the food pyramid for you? And, and should we worry about those? Or do you kind of categorize that in the same way, Reshma, where, you know, too much will lead to neuroses and, and uh, unhappy kids? Yeah, I mean, I think my approach is very similar. Um, I think that using those foods, especially when you're transitioning or in terms of social events and things like that can be really useful. Um, one of the things that Brenda and I really try to emphasize over and over again is a sense of compassion, you know, obviously for the animals and all that, but also for yourself. And if some of those foods add convenience to your life, they make it more easy to be able to maintain this way of eating, then I wholeheartedly encourage them. And of course, you know, I think to balance that out, you can make veggie burgers with black beans and tofu and all those wonderful ingredients. So I think with children, it helps to have a, an approach that's abundant and joyful and sustainable and trying to sort of cook and prepare the meals at home as much as possible and not stressing too much about those occasional, you know, veggie meat type meals. Yeah, and, and I and I completely agree. I, 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 you know, when these products come out, I celebrate them because the more that people embrace them, 
the more slaughterhouses will be shut down. <laughs> and uh, so I, I think they have a place in the world. And and I don't use a lot of them in my own diet because I make, you know, these beet lentil burgers and all of that sort of stuff. But I, I don't exclude them either. So so if we're having company and we want to do a barbecue with sausages and burgers and all that, and they're not vegetarian at all, then I find these, you know, replacements, uh, they barely notice the difference between these and, and me. And so they have a place, and I think for children, you know, they're going off to scout camp or whatever, how wonderful it is for them to have a hot dog when all the children are roasting wieners. And, and so I think there really is a place, and I don't think that they, they need to be, a, you know, a, a part of the daily diet, but certainly they can have a place in the diet and the cheeses. Um, again, you know, a lot of these new nut, nut cheeses are extremely delicious they people would hardly even know they're not regular cheese and and again i you know the, yes some of them have added fat some some don't have a lot of it they they tend to you know try to make them more whole food uh, i make my own at home i i ferment uh, you know the cashew cheese and i don't add anything uh, but I, I still see them as having a wonderful place when you're doing, having, especially when you're doing a little cheese tray or something, how wonderful to have something that doesn't taste like plastic uh, on the plate that's, that's actually really delicious. And, and so I, I, I celebrate anything that moves us in a direction uh, that will make eating plant-based um, fun and joyful and delicious for the whole world. And, and within our own homes, we want to do as much whole food, plant-based, uh, organic, all of those wonderful things as we can. Um, but I, th I think we need to be careful about being overly rigid. And um, yeah, that's my feeling. <laughs> well, I, uh, I couldn't agree more, you know, certainly, uh, particularly on the cheeses, that's, that's my go-to craving. Um, and they are... <laughs> In the eight years I've been eating this way, they've uh, gotten better and better. So, so you know, and, and like you say, it's it's really fun when, you, especially when you have friends over who maybe yeah. don't eat this way, you know, to be able to put on a um, you know kind of a, a show, really. Yes. Um, great. Uh, so, um, uh, what, a couple more questions. Um, uh, we touched on this briefly, but when, when talking to your pediatrician, um, you know, I'd say the first step probably is um, to buy your new book and educate yourself, yeah. right? And, and as a second step, how do you recommend, you know, uh, Reshma in particular, since you are a pediatrician, you know, what, what's the best way to start that conversation and, and to uh, engage a uh, physician uh, in terms of helping, you know, uh, yeah, because look, I think most of all, we want people to engage in the health system. You know, it's like you see the doctor most when you're one years old, then slowly tapers off until you're 18, then it plummets, I and mean, you don't check back into the system until like 45, <laughs> when you have heart disease, unfortunately, I mean, that's what that's what the statistics show. So we want people to engage. And I find that so often when I'm talking to my plant-based friends, um, we'll just choose not to engage with a primary care physician because we don't really want the judgment, you know, and, and it's harder to find a, someone who agrees with 
our plant-based philosophy. Plus, most of us believe that a vegan diet will protect us against everything. So there's no need for the medical system anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, uh, but, but give us some advice about how do you engage thoughtfully, you know, to have a productive dialogue with your pediatrician if you are going to raise your baby or, or your adolescent or your teenager this way. Yeah. So, so many thoughts. And we do cover this in, in greater detail. But I would say the first thing is make sure that you have a good relationship with your pediatrician. So I feel very strongly that if you're not able to have a uh, open, honest, and productive conversation around this way of eating with your pediatrician, the first step is to just ask yourself, like, during other moments that have nothing to do with diet, has my pediatrician been responsive? Have they been willing to listen to my concerns? And have we been able to engage in a dialogue that's ultimately helped my child? And if you feel like, yeah, I really like my pediatrician and they seem really, they seem really responsive and we feel like we have a good relationship, then I think it starts with just addressing specific concerns. And I find that most pediatricians are concerned about eliminating dairy in the diet. Like if you eliminate dairy, then where are you gonna get your calcium? And I always remind parents that we have so many children that are allergic to cow's milk. And so one approach could be, how would you manage this situation if my child was simply allergic to cow's milk? And the truth is we don't force those children to drink cow's milk, we find an alternative. And there are so many abundant alternatives. And so step-by-step, step, you can just kind of go through the nutrients of concern. So cow's milk dairy is definitely one of the things. And then um, protein, like Brenda mentioned, is often a concern. And so you can just show them all the sources of protein from legumes and tofu and nuts and all the wonderful sources of um, protein that you can get. So it can help to sort of go through the specific concerns. Um, and then finally, I think if you really, if you find that you want to, you have a good relationship with the pediatrician, you want to stay with them, but there are multiple concerns, you could try to meet with a dietitian that could help support you in these efforts. And I find that if you've got a good relationship with your pediatrician, they, you know, she doesn't have to necessarily be vegan or plant-based, but if they're willing to sort of hear you out and address your concerns, that's the most important thing. And I absolutely think that you need to share this information with your healthcare provider. It does not work to sort of say, well, I'm going to go for my immunizations and my well care, but I'm just not going to talk about this. And I'll give you one quick example. Um, this was a couple years ago. I was in the office on a Saturday seeing a well baby visit come in, just had been discharged from the hospital and lovely family, first time parents. And you could just tell they had some anxiety and they weren't sure. And the baby was doing beautifully. Mom was breastfeeding and something in me sort of sensed that there was some, some, something that they were holding back. And I sort of just started talking to them and I said, well, tell me mom a little bit about how you're taking care of yourself. What's your diet look like? And she kind of looked up at me. This is the first time I'd met them. And she's kind of like very skeptical. And she sort of said, we're, we're vegan. And then she just was like anticipating my response. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. I'm vegan too. And her eyes just lit up. And the reason she was reluctant to share that information is because every step along the way in her pregnancy, from the nurse practitioners to the gynecologist, everyone discouraged her from following a vegan diet. And the problem with that is it completely shut down the conversation. She stopped talking about it. They stopped asking about it. And she really wasn't getting some of the nutrients that she needed in order to support herself. Now, thankfully, both mom and baby were doing well. I counseled them and they walked out with an abundance of resources and the support to be able to do this successfully. So I'd say make sure you have a good relationship with your pediatrician, be open and honest. And if you feel that you can't have an open and honest communication with your pediatrician, might be time to find someone else.
That is a great answer. And uh, your story about the uh, new mom certainly resonates with me. We just obviously went through uh, two pregnancies and the number of you know obstetricians and doctors and you name it, breastfeeding consultants, right? I mean, it's just like everyone is designed or I should say the system is designed in such a way that you get such pressure yes. and it, it really is, like you say, you have to really arm yourself with a lot of knowledge to even combat uh, in, in those conversations. And, and obviously that's, that's why we do our work and, and yes. why I'm so thankful to, to have you guys here to spread the message. Um, I just want to wrap up with that, like, parenthood is stress parenting is stressful, especially those first few weeks and months. Like I'm sure you're very sleep deprived. And between breastfeeding and, you know, the sleep issues and gaining weight and all of that stuff, I think that sometimes what happens is if there's a little bit of a problem or a little bit of a challenge, it's very easy to sort of blame the plant-based diet. But the reality is, is those first few months are such a blur. Like, it, I mean, it's stressful for everybody. And so I think it's just important to remember that. Um, well, a great reminder. And uh, I have to end with one other reminder. Um, I, I, we don't need a long answer because it, it's half joking, but just to double check, protein is not a nutrient of concern on a plant-based diet, right? Our kids are not going to be protein. I just got to get you on record, you know, right? <laughs> uh, I, I'll take that one for sure. Uh, it, it's so interesting that people get so wound up about protein. Here's what people actually need to know. Infants and, and, and children require, uh, well, infants about 9 to 11 grams of protein a day, children who are 1 to 3 about 13 grams, and then children, you know, 4 to 8, it's close to 20 grams, and then 9 to 13, it's, it's around 34 grams. Now, that amount of protein, if you actually look at the research and look at how much protein uh, children are eating, there were two studies, one from Australia and one from the, uh, the United States that, that showed that young children, toddler age, one to three years of age, get three to four times more protein than they actually need. And there was a study recently called the Beachy Study, 2019, from Germany, that showed that uh, the average omnivore gets 2.7, uh, a child one to three years old, 2.7 grams of protein per kilogram body weight. They need 1.05, just over one gram of protein per kilogram body weight at that, at that age. And then the vegetarian children got 2.3 grams and the vegan children got 2.4, which was more than double the recommended amount. And, and some people say, oh, well, maybe they get enough protein, but the quality of protein isn't as good. And people also need to understand that the quality of, of protein in legumes, especially soy, is the same as animal products. But um, in terms of other legumes, because of the fiber, the digestibility may be a little lower. And so if children are eating a lot of whole legumes, they might need to increase protein intake a little bit but it's still really easy to meet those requirements because they just don't need that much protein. So it's not a nutrient that we really have to be very stressed about. What we do need to make sure is they're getting enough of the sort of the legume family that there's some legumes, not choosing almond milk or, or a milk like that, but rather soy milk or pea milk, 
and and that pretty much has them covered just doing that alone uh, but including a little tofu and a little legumes ensures sufficient lysine and that's the the one nutrient that or the one amino acid that sometimes falls uh, on the low end if they're barely meeting their their protein needs but usually they're they're over double their protein needs so it's just just not the issue that people think it is fair enough You've answered that question once before, it sounds like, huh? <laughs> um, well, Brenda, Reshma, th thank you so much, most importantly, for doing this work. You know, it's such an important concept, like we've talked about, you know, going against the grain and, and uh, making this decision. You can feel really alone, and so we need more of your um, highly credentialed voices, you know, putting together this kind of comprehensive book i assume um remind me what when is the uh the book uh officially launching so um you can pre-order it now but it's uh it's going to be released november 17th okay so pre-order now uh everywhere books are sold and again thank you so much for spending part of your day uh with us and for answering all of my questions ones that i'm sure you get once or twice in your day already so we really appreciate it Thanks oh, so thanks much, so much, Matt. Yeah. Have a great day. You too.